One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that digs into a person's life history and personality through the songs they choose and the stories those songs connect to. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. My guest this episode is Mike Donlin. Mike is Creative Services Manager here at WGCU, where we make this show. That pretty much means he's the station's graphic designer, although I'm pretty sure he's got way more on his plate than just design. Formerly a newsroom graphics editor for Gannett Newspapers in Florida and California, Mike also teaches visual storytelling in Florida Gulf Coast University's journalism program. He's a native of Southern California, is married to Lee County Visitor and Convention Bureau Communications Director Francesca Donlin, and has a son in college and a daughter in her senior year of high school. I've got to know Mike a bit around the station and like his laid-back vibe, which resonates with mine, and I hear he does quite the robot German accent for the D&D game he's in with our co-creator Richard. Here come Mike's song stories. Hey there, Mike. Uh, nice to get to know you longer than a brief moment in the hallway. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Uh, just right up front, the German uh, robot uh, is not coming out today. The German robot's not coming out today. No, no, I, I, I don't think I can muster that. Okay, we got to stop right there because something's not right with you, Mike. I can't. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, and I can hear myself a lot better too. What do you mean the robot voice isn't coming out? Come on. We can't urge you for a little bit of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about that, but but basically there there's alcohol required uh, for for such things. Oh, so you're not playing sober D and D or Gamma World. You're playing uh, to have a few beers, Gamma World. Exactly, exactly, okay. and you, possibly a little mezcal. Are you gonna be uh, Are you gonna be joining our upcoming uh, campaign that Richard's been putting absolutely, together? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely in. Uh, what kind of character are you gonna use? Well, it's uh, not going to be a, a a robot arm that can move. No, no, <laughs> not this time. Whose whose sole mission, by the way, was to save the Von Trapp children. Um, but uh, no, I'm not sure. We're we're still waiting on a uh, on a more thorough description of the world in which we're going to be playing to. Uh, to sort of uh, size up characters. Okay, and you such. didn't figure we were going to be starting here, did you? No, no, I did not. I did not. Uh, my daughter's going to play too, by the way. She's very excited. But now Excellent. we'll move on to three Excellent. song stories. What was the I musical guess. background of your childhood? Well, um, I, I think it was um, it was actually pretty interesting. My dad uh, grew up playing the piano, and so we always had a piano or two in the house. And um, so there was always piano music going. So live around. music was live music, playing. yeah. And uh, you know, and and we always gave my dad a lot of hell uh, for it. And uh, he was the the type of guy. Uh, it still is the type of guy that that uh, generally uh, gets a lot of ribbing for uh, just about anything he does. And so, um, but uh, the uh, the piano music was just it was really fantastic, and and he would uh, play all sorts of stuff. And he was uh, good. Yeah, yeah, he, he was good. really good. He uh, and he still is. He he uh, plays in a jazz band now in Los Angeles and uh, uh, does more uh, improvisational type stuff. But but back then um, he uh, he did. Uh, 
you know, pretty old school stuff like ragtime and uh, and a lot of classical stuff too. So, did you play anything, or did anybody? No, else God, in the house play no. Um, my sisters tried. Uh, you know, took lessons for a couple of years, but. Uh, the uh, bug never stuck with me, but my mom was always musical too. I mean, uh, in in a classic kind of hippie sense, like you know, every once in a while the auto harp would come out. Oh and, right? yeah, and uh, no, there's and, definitely some hippie flavor in that. I know. Auto harp. And then this this one time, I uh, I'd gotten back from a um, trip to Hawaii, and uh, that that I'd gone on after I graduated from high school. And uh, just as a goofy souvenir, I picked up, you know, like a $10 ukulele mm-hmm. uh, for my mom and brought it home and presented it uh, to her. And uh, and she just tuned it right up and started playing songs on oh. it. Like, So she'd always had this kind of, uh, you know, um, love of music and, and, you know, facility with whatever she picked up uh, for my uh, – I just turned 50 uh, last year and uh, they bought me a banjo. And now I've got to figure out how to play this banjo. You, um, you haven't gotten to it yet? No, it's it's really <laughs> intimidating. It's a whole new thing. So. They're, they're, you, you know, um, uh, the, actually the, the guy who did our theme song, Dave, 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 um, he was my roommate years ago. Uh, he kind of taught me how to play the guitar, but the advice he gave me that I followed and it works is you just got to pick it up every day for at least 15 minutes. And in a year, you'll be able to play it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just that familiarity. You've got to have it in your hands. Even if you're just doing the one thing you know how to do over and over for 15 minutes, right. within a year, you will be playing that instrument. Yeah. It takes and, that persistence. And that's real. Like, I play the guitar very poorly. Like, uh, you know, and that's all I really want out of the banjo is to be able to play it poorly. Yeah. But I, I'm not even there yet. So uh, so we'll see. Time will tell. So, um, but besides the piano, what was the popular music or what was, you know, if you had a radio on or if you were in the car, what were the kinds of music that were being uh, played around you. Well, yeah, I mean, there was um, there was always a lot um, going on. I mean, uh, you know, uh, me and my two sisters, we all each had our own turntables, and uh, so we all had our own little stashes of records, uh, even as little kids. Um, and uh, it was sort of like Wes Anderson, like that way, where we'd all just kind of lay around and listen to records. Um, and then, of course, really, it got serious with the eight tracks. You oh, know? wow. You're yeah. our first, like, actual eight-track user Oh, that's admitted to it anyway. Yeah. I mean, no, I, it was I, bad. We, I had eight tracks around me when I was a kid, but, you know, I, I was very, oh my very God. young. No, so. I, was, I was hooked on the eight tracks. My, my first uh, eight track uh, that I bought, I inherited a lot of music from my oldest sister, Kathy. And, uh, but my first eight track that I bought was the Cars. Uh, Candio. Oh, nice. And uh, I just love imagining the cars on an 8-track. That oh, makes was, me happy. It was fantastic. And, you know, the great thing about an 8-track was, and my family would not agree with this, is that you could leave them in and leave them running for literally months at a time. Right. And I did. And so um, – Endless loop. And, and, right. It was an endless <laughs> loop of, of uh, Candio. And, uh, and I still know every song on that album – back and forth. Uh, so uh, lots of eight tracks. Uh, and then, you know, of course, there was my sister's music and she was much more into the sort of rock and roll stuff. So there was always a lot of, you know, Zeppelin and Rush and um, Yes and uh, Jethro Tull and that sort of stuff. Um, 
And this was where in California? This was um, Riverside in Corona, California. There's this new – And where about is that in California uh, for the non-Californians in us? Uh, It's uh, in one of the the worst parts of California. It's um, uh, basically about an hour inland from Los Angeles. And uh, we're right up against the mountains there. So we would catch all of the – L.A. smog. L.A. always had nice clear skies because we would get their air pollution. Right. You inherited all their problems exactly. air quality-wise. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing, living so close to L.A. is, um, you know, my parents were always big music buffs. And um, so uh, we would go in as kids to Los Angeles all the time uh, to go check out the symphony. Um, and so we had uh, season tickets uh, with the L.A. Phil and so we were, you know, you know, three or four times a year we were going in to see concerts uh, as a family. So exposed to some classical, something bigger yeah, than yeah. bigger than just Led, Led Zeppelin on the radio, right? Or exactly. The so cars on your eight track. Constant, constant exposure to this sort of stuff. So, hmm. so um, how long did you live in California? At what point did you get out of there? Did you go to college there? Like, what's your sort of what's the what's the short version of the arc from there to Florida? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. I uh, grew up in Southern California. College uh, at Chico State, California. That's in Northern California, um, about a hundred miles north of Sacramento. After that, back to Southern California for a little bit, and then off to Japan for a year. Uh, then after Japan, Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, where I met my wife, um, and then back out to California. This time on the Central Coast, near San Luis Obispo and Morro Bay. Uh, and then to grad school in Boston for a couple of years uh, wow. and living in Rhode Island. Then back out to California to live in the desert uh, in Palm Springs uh, where I started uh, newspapering seriously. Um, and then from there uh, here. Okay. Yeah. Japan. How'd that ha- happen? Yeah, it was uh, basically just an ad in the LA Times. Live and work in Japan. And what were you doing? I took them up on it. Um, teaching English. Teaching or? English. Yeah, <laughs> in, uh, in uh, their public school system over there. Uh, so I was 24, um, getting paid a lot of money, and had no responsibility. And uh, it was it was just uh, an amazing time. That would have been like the 80s. Yeah. Uh, no. Trying 90, to do the math. You right? say you're 50, so that's uh, 92. 92. Okay, 92 I got my decade there. So, yeah. Hmm. What's the first musical memory that you can remember if you have to try to dig back to something that that stuck? Well, it's it's more a visual thing, but uh, like it, it actually goes back to what I think, you know. And, and memory is such a weird thing, but my very first memory that I can uh, put together is being carried out of in my uh, parents' arms uh, of a. Um, amphitheater uh, where there was, uh, as I'm told, uh, we were leaving a Joan Baez concert. Mm. Um, so you remember just like the, the departure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the just sort of outdoor, peacefully kind of uh, nature of the thing. But um, yeah, in, uh, um, if I had to go back further uh, or uh, not as far, but to something that I <laughs> Something a little more concrete. Yeah, um, I I would say uh, one of the very first concerts I went to with my parents was a 
uh, it was a unstaged opera of uh, Bella Bartok's uh, Bluebeard, hmm. I think, uh, done by the L.A. Phil uh, sometime back in the 70s. And um, it, it was very freaky. It was kind of terrifying as a kid. Uh, <laughs> just uh, uh, the creepy nature of the music. It's, it's a, kind of a horrific story. And uh, our seats at the uh, Dorothy Chandler were always um, – like the the top uh, balcony, and it's one of those really steep theaters where you get kind of vertigo looking yeah, down yeah. into the audience and everything. And so, as a little little kid, it was um, it was really kind of otherworldly. Hmm. Um, besides the cars, did yeah. you have a band that you like glommed onto first? You know, like like for me, it was like. The police. Like I sort of fell into the police and suddenly that's all I wanted to listen to while I was, you know, in high school. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to admit it. Uh, Adam and the Ants. Oh. You know? I, 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 don't, <laughs> I was a child of the 80s for sure. You know, I guess I really don't know much of his music. I could picture the, you know, the – Shirtless with the thing yeah, around his yeah, neck or whatever. No, it, was, it was all a little silly. You know, it was that whole new British invasion or second British invasion or whatever they called it. And uh, uh, there was all all sorts of, of fun music going on. But um, I think it – like uh, they would always talk about with Adam and the Ants that Burundi beat uh, with the drums, you know. And so um, – I don't know. It was it was kind of catchy. Do you ever see him uh, see him perform live? I did. Yeah, I actually I saw him, and that was I think the first concert I went to was an Adam and the Ants concert, and that um, was out out in California. Somewhere? That was yeah, uh, yeah, out in Riverside, and In uh, Excess was opening for. Oh, nice! For them. Oh, so, so you got to see In Excess open for? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, and and they were. They're amazing. one of my early around that same time. Yeah. I was a really. I still. I still play kick all the time. Yeah. Like it's in it, my rotation. It was fantastic. Um, I have almost felt sorry for for Animat because uh, NXS just pretty much blew him off the stage. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's move on to your first song. What, all right. is, what is your first song? Um, I, I, I have it written down here, but I'm going to let you pronounce it. <laughs> well, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, uh, but it's uh, Der Erlkonig. Uh, and How would the robots? I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot do it. Okay. Um, but uh, it's a, 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 a Schubert um, later. And again, I don't speak German. I, I don't profess to. But it's either leader or later. I don't know what it is. But it's it's a German art song. Um, and uh, it's something that I just kind of fell in love with as a kid. And um, uh the first time I heard it uh, was in uh, high school and uh, I went to high school and there was for, – for just one year, there was a period of time where um, me and, and both of my sisters uh, were attending the same school and uh, and I'm not sure it was that particular year but, but uh, somehow I wound up in the same Latin class with my sister Alan. And uh, our Latin teacher was a guy named Mr. Webb, Basil Webb, and he was just a complete nut. I mean, you know, and I I don't know if that's a universal quality for Latin teachers, but he was really, um, you know, um, 
how to put it, he, he had a, a lightness of being that, that he brought into the classroom that uh, was really infectious. And um, I think uh, a lot of sort of misfits felt pretty safe in Mr. Webb's class. Mm. And so he also taught German. And um, But uh, he was the type of teacher where he would leave – you know, and he he smoked like a chimney, and so he would sneak out and do cigarette breaks and make up some excuse for not being in the classroom. And while he was gone, uh, we would all uh, do things like rearrange the room, or like hang his bicycle from the ceiling, or uh, and he was willing know. to put up with it because he was getting his cigarette out of it. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and he would act perplexed when he got back and. Uh, it was that kind of an atmosphere where um, – but at, at the same time, uh, everyone really kind of took it seriously uh, and uh, he, he kind of um, shared his love of language. And, uh, and, and that's – you know, um, I was not a good student particularly. You know, I grew up in a very academic household. My dad was a professor. My mom uh, was a vice principal of high school and – uh, teaching is kind of the family business, and uh, and I I just you know uh, was bored out of my mind most of the time at school, but um, uh, Latin class with Mr. Webb was the first time I think that that I saw a teacher who really loved what they were doing, and um, uh, it was the first time that I felt like education might be okay like it might be kind of fun uh at least in that period of high school and junior high school and uh as a matter of fact this song you know is in german uh and um we were in latin class you know and and so he had you know this was back in the day when you had to request the uh turntable to be you know sent here yeah you had the the media center or whatever they bring it down for you and uh so he had it in there to uh, play this song for his german class and um uh because it's a i mean it's sort of a classic uh as i'm told uh for people learning german and um uh, and he just loved the song so much and loved the lesson associated with it so much. He just thought we in the Latin class might <laughs> enjoy it too. And so he, you know, pulled out the, uh, the, uh, turntable and, uh, put the, uh, record on and acted out the song for us while it was playing. Wow. So, and it's, it's this amazing, uh, uh, song. It's, it's, um, I forget what they call it, but it's it's uh, an ancient uh, poem. Um, I, I think like coming from you know somewhere in uh, Scandinavia or somewhere, and it it tells the uh, story of a father and son who are you know riding through the woods, and the son is deathly ill and and is hallucinating, perhaps you know, and seeing this uh, dark character uh, skirting them in the woods. And he's acting this out, and he's right. And so, one of the <laughs> one of the fascinating things about the song uh, is that it's uh, it's one singer, but the singer actually plays four parts in it. And so, uh, it's it's a real challenge uh, for any you know um, singer uh, to be able to uh, articulate the four different roles uh, clearly. And uh, so, uh, and he was obviously lip syncing, but but acting out each of the parts. Uh, and did a fantastic job, and it was just that that um, enthusiasm, you know, that has stayed with me, uh, you know, 
35 years now, you mm. know, that uh, – um, and every time, you know, and, and I do – this is one song that I actually do here on a regular basis. You know, I've got it in rotation all the time and uh, there's something about it that, uh, you know, I've always just loved. Uh, and every time I hear it, I think about, uh, you know, Mr. Webb, you know. Um, he's the type of teacher that uh, you'd make a movie about, you know, in the mornings. You'd see him uh, riding to uh, uh, school on his bike, you know, on some old 10-speed. Uh, no hands, you know, hands out at his side like he was flying, singing loud songs and I'm, I'm guessing German at the time and, and just that sort of uh, thing, you know. But, um, yeah, Mr. Oh. Webb. All right. Well, let's hear this in honor of Mr. Webb. It's uh, uh, Der... Er. <laughs> <laughs> the Elf King is the translation. It's the Elf King by uh, uh, Franz Schubert. Any idea um, if he's still around? Mr. Webb? No, I. Uh, he's not. I'm sorry. Uh, no. Um, I looked him up uh, a couple of years ago, and, and he he's passed. Um, and I think he went ahead of his time. He, he wasn't an old guy, but, um, yeah, uh, and I miss him. Did you keep up with him at all after high school or was that kind of the end of y'all's contact? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I went back and saw him once after high school and, uh, cause I had some, uh, uh, you know, friends who are a year younger than me and, so visiting them, I, I I popped in once to see him. Hmm. It's amazing how people can make an impact like that that lasts so long, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I had um uh, one of the teachers that was that impactful to me was my junior year uh, English teacher, and uh, and we're connected on Facebook now. But she hasn't been con- communicative. You know, we've been friends for years, mm-hmm. and we haven't really. And just out of the blue, the other day, I got an email from her saying. Keep up the good work, Mike. You're, you're one of the good ones. And it's like, oh, my God, she's, she's paying attention and she thinks <laughs> – and it was like such affirmation. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, and I have another real quick story that that reminded me of. In sixth grade, our math teacher was this guy named Mr. Northcutt. And he, was a, he was a strange character. And he – at the end of the year, he came in with his cello dressed in army fatigues and played CCR for us. Oh, wow. Fort Myers Middle School, 1985. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Okay, let's move on. Um, right. When was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Or maybe we should back up a step and say, how do you listen to your music most commonly? These oh, days? Um, I'm, I'm trying to catch up. Uh, and now I'm doing uh, – and I'm, I'm kind of name blind, so I'm going to forget uh, something and I might need help. Uh, it's an app. Uh, with a little green button on it, and uh, and I get all the music I want out of it, and is I can't it, remember the Spotify? name of it. It is Spotify. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I've never so, actually loaded the app, so I was guessing. Yeah. But no, it's and, and it's really fantastic. The um, and and you know I have a you know a ton of music on CD and a ton of music uh, in my iTunes account uh, and everything. But the the thing that and you know it's not a plug, but the thing I really like about Spotify is. Um, 
the ability to go deep, you know, and, and, you know, so there are bands that you listened to maybe as a kid because you had your sister's record uh, and you really liked it and you can't necessarily afford to go out and buy um, all of these, uh, you know, tracks or, or um, albums going back and back and back. But, uh, you know, Spotify allows you to kind of explore an artist the way you, you want to, you know. So I've been going through lately and listening to, um, you know, from the uh, first album uh, to the last uh, bands like, and, and again, uh, Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. And, um, uh, and mostly these are the bands, uh, and I'm not necessarily – that fascinated with these bands, but my son is, ah. and so um, kind of a, a shared thing. You right, can, you right. can you and can so, dig back in. He gets to hear it all for the first time, exactly. Yeah. And so we've you know we've got more to talk about hmm. uh, that way, and so and it's been really fun. Um, yeah, it's uh it's interesting. That's come up several times during episodes where people talk about how um, you know it used to be you had to have the money, you bought it, mm-hmm. and then maybe you sort of felt almost committed to listen to it because you've invested in it now, right? And so it really kind of created tunnels of listening. And now with the ability to listen to so many things for so little, if not free, yeah, it's just opening up musical horizons for everybody. Yeah, that's choosing yeah. to look. I mean, if you choose to look, boy, it's just all yeah. There. Like the the album I've been. Um Stuck on lately, I've just been looping it back and forth like it was an A-track, is uh, Liz Fair's first album. Mm. Uh, and I can't remember the name of it, something Stranded in Guysville or something like that. But it's a just a fantastic record. So uh, back to this uh, first half of that question, um, when was the last time you bought music, like a CD or a record or an 8-track or anything like that? Uh, that's a really good question. Um Gosh, uh, I, you know, I honestly can't remember. Quite a uh, while then. Yeah, I, I, I would get um, – for myself, I can't – I honestly can't remember. Uh, again, for, for my son, uh, we get him, you know, vinyl every once in a while for his turntable and, and uh, we've gotten him a few CDs here and there. And he's finally uh, moving away from that as well. But uh, it's sort of um, – uh, uh, for like a thing person like me, it's kind of hard to move away from the piles and piles of CDs, you know. You still have them? Yeah, and now they're all just stacked up. No more jewel boxes. They're just stacked up on a spindle, and I'm sure most of them are unlistenable by now. You know, uh, Tom DeMarkey, who is a writing professor here at FGCU, yeah. he's got a special room on his house where he keeps his more than 10,000 CDs that he still listens to oh, to this day. that's fantastic. 10,000. That's insane. Um, Mixtapes, was that ever part of your thing? Yeah, were sure. you the right You were the right age yeah. for that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, reflect on the mixtape being that you did. Did you make, make them for people? Did people make them for you? What do you recall? Um, yeah, the <sighs> – you know, I think to have exchanged uh, mixtapes would have implied that that I think there were more friendships back then. Uh, so I was making them really for myself. Um, and uh, I know we briefly touched on Japan, and we're going to go back there in a second. But um, I had a, a made myself a, a you know half a dozen mixtapes. Um, to take to Japan that, oh, right. that kind of kept me alive over there, you know, uh, through all the culture shock and isolation over there. So um, 
those were constant companions. My, you know, bright mm. yellow Walkman. Uh, ah, this was, waterproof one? Yeah, ah. yeah. I still have that. So. You know, I, I got one of those. Somebody left it in a lost and found at a place where I was associated with and nobody claimed it after however many days and I got it. Fantastic. And I was like, oh my, it was my yeah. favorite thing ever. Yeah. Um, for you listeners out there that don't know what we're talking about, it was a tape player. Walkman, but the yellow one you could close up and it would seal. So if you got yeah. it wet, it wouldn't ruin it theoretically. Right. Yep. Do you listen to music while you're uh, working, like if you're doing a big design project? Because that seems like the kind of thing that's on the borderline between you can listen to music while you're doing it and not. Where do you feel? Fall? Yeah, yeah, no, I do more and more now. And um, most of my office suite mates don't seem to mind that much. Uh, so yeah. not earbuds, speakers. Yeah, yeah, and I, um, uh, I was at um, when I was at the news press. I was in there for you know uh, close to fifteen years, and um, uh, that was a staple in the art department. Was uh, loud, obnoxious music, uh, just almost one hundred percent of the time. And uh, so, um, uh, yeah, uh, earbuds were. Um, not cool, you know. Everyone had to kind of share the experience, and uh, and we did, and everyone kind of got along, and uh, and I'm sure some of the people who were in there uh, weren't pleased with the choices all of the time, but um, but yeah, I, I felt that was important, and in uh, uh, we've kind of restructured around here a little bit, and now I I think it's we're getting back to the point where uh, things are a little more open and fun. You know. Do you miss the newspaper vibe, the newsroom, the you know big team crashing yeah, on yeah. daily deadlines? Exactly. And all that stuff? You know, I really do, um, and uh, I miss the work. Um, I mean, I, I love what I'm doing now, and I and I love the people I'm doing it with. Uh, but you know, there was something about uh, doing graphics for a newspaper that was like it was you know. Um, it was like going on a field trip every day, mm-hmm. you know, and going out and and because uh, we would do these huge detailed visual explanations of how things worked and, um, you know, or a statistical look at uh, you know the county or the state or something for for who knows what reason, and uh, so it was um, uh, a, a constant exposure to, to weird aspects of the community um that uh we all lived in and then this uh the other side of that was this sort of um puzzle solving everything was a puzzle to figure out how you were going to execute a graphic or what your take was going to be with a particular set of numbers and you know um what the story was embedded in you know half a dozen spreadsheets so uh that I do miss uh and and I'm lucky enough that I get to uh teach uh some of that stuff in the journalism program here at FGCU. Hmm. Uh, time for song number two. Excellent. You you, you, you kind of teased it a little bit ago. You kind of okay. said we're right. going to get to that. So uh, what do we got? Okay. Um, this is uh, this is kind of a weird one for me. Um, uh, when I, and I mentioned before that I, I spent a year in Japan, and it was and I bring it up, and, and I think anytime anyone in my family or, or who's known me for a while, if whenever I bring it up, that I get kind of the eye roll because it does come up from time to time. Is this experience in Japan? Um, but it was it was really transformative. I mean, uh, living for a year in a different uh, country uh, for you know kind of a small town kid, and that's like a me. pretty foreign country in terms it, yeah. of the culture shock. It, it's about know. as foreign as yeah. as you can get, I think, and um, uh, especially with the language. 
And it didn't occur to me before, but you know, the uh, the first song had this sort of like uh, language uh, sort of schism in there between the Latin and the German, and uh, not knowing what we were. Uh, Are we there seeing to a theme develop? <laughs> right, but I don't. At. I don't know. This this just seemed to kind of happen. But then the um, maybe the whole thing is just miscommunication, and um, but um, uh, so um, when I got over there, there was just this tremendous culture shock, and uh, um, and I lived on this tiny little island. Um, about a hundred miles outside of Tokyo, it was about a twelve-hour boat ride to get there, and they hadn't finished the airport yet, so that was the only way on or off. So you weren't living like in the big metropolis; you were living in, in, no, in no, a rural no, part it of was, Japan. No, it was it was it was really old school. It was a fishing village, oh, okay, and um, very very traditional. And uh, you know, my the the house I lived in was, you know, this classic um, Japanese house with. Uh, you know the paper screen windows mm-hmm. uh, and the tatami mat floors, and uh, the whole front of the house would open up and overlook the ocean, and um, situated uh, so that uh, the sunset was right outside. You know this huge panoramic view, and it would set over this bay with little rocky islands and windswept palms Sounds and everything. Idyllic. It, it was it was incredibly idyllic, and uh, I mean it was really challenging in other. Um, uh, ways. I mean, the culture shock and the isolation. I was the only guy that, you know, um, wasn't Japanese on the island and the only guy that spoke fluent English. Uh, and I didn't speak Japanese. That was sort of a weird thing about the program I was in was you didn't have to speak Japanese. Did they want you to or did they not, no, not want you not to? Not necessarily because uh, the whole thing was supposed to be team taught with a um, – Japanese teacher of English and uh, that uh, in my instance kind of proved to be a myth um, and so it it uh, it seemed I, I kind of figured out over the the first couple of weeks that the real mission there was to be more of a cultural ambassador um, and to um, um, encourage um, this island nation you know the youth of this island nation that you know their horizons were broader than uh, they might have suspected. Um, and essentially, uh, it was fun. So there's this whole myth. Oh, it's not a myth, actually. It's uh, But there's this, um, this widely held understanding that Japanese high school students are um, incredibly diligent, hardworking, uh, uber – uh, intellectual and, and and just nose to the grindstone 100% of the time. And in my case, um, there were uh, a few of those students uh, at my high school, but most of them were surf punks and uh, who, you know, were going to grow up and they were going to inherit the family business that, you know, might be, you know, uh, you, in more cases, in most cases, the family business was a fishing boat. Um, and so, you know, these were incredibly rough and tumble kids who uh, like to get in beach fights with uh, visiting tourists and mm. uh, things like that and, and surf, like big time surfing. And, um, and you know, their hair was all um, bleached orange from the uh, seawater, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so it was kind of a it was kind of a wild place. Um not the uh, sophisticated, you know, urban Tokyo. Yeah, not at all uh, the the Japan I was picturing when you said you. Were no, there. no, it was it was it was pretty wild. Um, so at about um, I don't know maybe 
sometime around New Year's, uh, which is a big deal over there, um, I was uh, coming out of my house, and my house was uh, it was a guest house at a uh, Minshuku, which is like a bed and breakfast type of place. And uh, and it was all, you know, kind of crammed together in these tight little alleys in this tiny little village. And I'd been there for three months and hadn't noticed this other door in that alley. And so finally I, I popped out at the right time and, and that other door uh, flings open and a bunch of my high school students come tumbling out. And uh, and they're, they're clearly wasted. And uh, uh, what I had discovered was this was the student bar on the island. And uh, so they don't take their uh, drinking age very seriously over there apparently. And um, and I was ushered in and uh, it turns out that this place was um, uh, not only the, the sort of student hangout uh, for the upperclassmen at the high school, but it was also like the sort of local karaoke joint. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tiny, uh, you know, just a, a couple of tables and a bar. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a bottle service type place where you'd, you'd buy a really expensive bottle of brandy and keep it behind the bar and they'd charge you for setups and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, so the, uh, the deal was, um, uh, that, you know, you'd show up and everybody had already had a lot to drink and, uh, you'd get ushered in there and, you know, like, and I, I, I went to a, you know, university, uh, Cal State Chico, that was, it was a big party school. Yeah. He, and, you, you felt like you could hold your own. Right. And yeah. so I tried to keep up, which was impossible. And, um, uh, so they were drinking shochu and brandy or beer. That was pretty much it. And, um, uh, and doing a lot of karaoke, right? And I wasn't into karaoke. I'm kind of famously shy. And uh, but the, it it was insisted upon just over and over again. It was like a social obligation, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so they had these enormous laser discs, and uh, they'd bring them out, and they'd be like, "Okay, Donlin, your song, your song." And I'd be like, "I don't read Japanese. I don't know." And so somebody pulled out one of these laser discs at one point, and it had this song on it. And the the lyrics were in fact in English. Like oddly enough, like this one song on this collection of discs, uh, the uh, uh, the one uh, song had had English lyrics, and so that became my song uh, over <laughs> and over again. And the you know and you and, sang it, and I sang it to the best of my ability. You know, did with, you talk it or did you sing I, it? Well, I did my best. <laughs> and uh, but the thing is, is I'd never heard it in real life before. Oh, so you weren't modeling. No, no. <laughs> so, uh, Gosh, I mean, a recording of that would be great to have for today. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, but it was, um, just this bizarre song and it's got some, uh, strange little sections where the melody just completely escapes me. And, um, so I would just fake it. You know, and they and, loved it. And yeah, I mean, like, uh, and so that was that. And so every time I'd go back into the bar, I'd be like, "Oh, your song, your song." And then I'd, you know, get a couple of drinks in me, and and uh, and then the tiny bubbles would would happen. Uh, tiny bubbles by Don Ho. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> from his 1966 album of the same name. Let's hear.
You know, because of the way music and memory works, there's very likely at least one Japanese person in their mid-40s who remembers you singing <laughs> that song. <laughs> uh, that, that might be the case. Were you swaying a little bit to it? Were you? Oh, uh, yeah. Because uh, you got to. I well, mean. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's uh, uh, I, that might be only the second time I've actually heard uh, right, I heard so, it, and so I'm like, "Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it right." <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you sent me two links to the other songs, and then said, "Just go find this one." Right? <laughs> so I had no idea, you know. Um, uh, I'm sure you could find the 1992 karaoke version if you looked hard enough, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I got that really wrong. Okay, um, let's talk about uh, songs that almost made it on your list. Did you start from a list and whittle it down? Because you've been on you've been on the inside of the conversations about this since before yeah, we launched, yeah. so it's been sort of rattling around in your head on some level. So what what was song number four or five or what didn't? I, um, you know, what almost made it? God, there was um, uh, there was uh, Philip Glass's. Um, it was basically the whole soundtrack to Koyana Skatsi. Um, and I don't know um, if you're a Philip Glass fan. I'd know who he is. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, it's one of those things where the um, the music uh, tied to the movie um, is one of the strongest sort of film and music um, combinations I've ever seen. And um, and it really literally changed the way I looked at the world. Um, hmm. And uh, how so? Can you like crystallize that? I, I, it's it's sort of odd, um, but uh, if you've ever seen the movie and and the way it sort of um, uh, juxtaposes um, nature and technology and man's impact on both. Um, What's it called again? Koyaanisqatsi. It's uh, the title. It's it's. Uh, I couldn't spell it for you if you paid me. But uh, the title uh, is uh, supposedly Hopi, um, f- uh, a Hopi phrase meaning uh, life out of balance. Um, and uh, it's one of those things that I just highly, highly recommend uh, you go um, check out sometime and watch. It's there's no dialogue. It's all just music and, and uh, uh, film. Hmm. And uh, but um, growing up, uh, there's a lot of uh, desert imagery for some reason, and I don't know if that has to do with the um, uh, Native American themes going on in there. But um, growing up in the desert uh, or near the desert, uh, it sort of resonated with me and um, uh, made me kind of look at the world around me in terms of systems. Uh, that sounds really vague, but. Um, uh, I think it it um, kind of uh, encouraged me to to zoom in and out of uh, perspectives more easily. I, I know that's weird, but I went to art school, so I'm well. Allowed. It's not that there's a film that that sounds like what you're describing, but the title doesn't resonate with me. Where it's it's just it goes from different culture to different culture, and it's just still shots, and there's music playing behind it, and the. But it's not uh, that yeah, one. Yeah, no. Um, well, OK. So uh, – I, I, and I'm probably going to get this wrong too because, again, I'm name blind. It's the, just like one word. It's called yeah. – yeah, Well, really. then it, this uh, this Koyan Ascati film was part of a trilogy uh, uh, by – I think the artist's name is Reggio. And um, he did Pawakatsi and uh, and I forget the name of the – uh, third one. But then uh, there's been a, a, a more recent uh, filmmaker. I think that's been doing 
work in a similar vein, whose name I can't remember. I'm Googling. <laughs> Baraka is the one I'm thinking. Yeah, of. yeah, It's yeah. called Baraka. Yeah. It came out in 1992, yeah. so right when you would have been in Japan. Yeah. But that's interesting because that movie changed the way I looked at the world. Because yeah. it shows this universality. Yeah. You know, it goes from the big city to the small town to the big people to the little people to the old people to the young people. to the right. You know, and it just yeah. by the end of it, you're just overwhelmed with, wow, we're all just people on right. this planet yeah. doing this thing. Yeah. You know? Wow. It, yeah. And so um, it, I don't – I can't explain it, but it's sort of like you, you remember uh, The Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. You know, where uh, Lilo is uh, – Lilo Dallas is you know, learning about humanity through yeah. this just massive influx of film images. And oh, it's, absolutely. It's sort of like that where like after an hour and a half of this, you feel like you have a new level of understanding about humanity, you know. Uh, and we can all, you know, feel very smart and pat ourselves on the back for our – this new perspective. Hmm. And we could use another reboot of that these days, right? maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, where are you at musically today? You said you're exploring stuff with your kid via Spotify. I mean, is there any like new bands that you've found that you're into? Is there any modern music that's coming out of the radio that you're into? Um, another good question. Um, right now, uh, I got a car and the car came with uh, serious, huh. and like uh, you don't even have to pay. Yeah, for the first two years, wow. I think, and uh, and it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, there's some really good stuff out there. There's some some absolute garbage, but um, there's this one program I'm listening to, and I uh, it's Little Steven's Underground Garage, hmm. and uh, it's just sort of like a deeper look at. Um, uh, garage bands or or things that, oh, that are lumped in cool. there, and uh, you know B sides and stuff like that. But it's you know uh, I'll be driving around with my son Daniel, and we'll be listening to music, and and there'll be this amazing you know thing that sounds like a rock standard, and neither of us had ever heard of the song or the band or you know, uh, and so uh, being stuck listening to. Um, other than WGCU, uh, I was going to say right? I was going to get that in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, FM is kind of a wasteland, you know, when it comes yeah. to actually listening to quality music. And uh, so uh, we've been listening to kind of you know not great stuff on the radio uh, for a long time, and then this uh, this just trove of of uh, old unheard of uh, stuff. Um, has just been a, a real goldmine. And so what we've been doing is we'll, we'll listen to something we like and and then we'll go track down more of it and mm. Spotify it. You know, I, I kind of have a, a similar story with my daughter who's 13 on the other end of the technology spectrum. Um, our favorite channel that we listen to, if I'm listening to anything with WGCU on FM, it's 93.3 The Tiger. <laughs> it's a low-power station out of Dunbar High School. Oh. And they've got all kinds of weird stuff. But on Sundays, they've got Rocketman Roberts Classic Radio Hour. And oh, I'm checking this out. It's three hours long. It's got bumpers. I mean, they are totally channeling like an old yesteryear of radio. That is fantastic. And, and he plays some stuff that you're like, oh, okay, I, I've heard that song. But then all of a sudden, he'll play a song, and you're like 30 seconds in, and you're like, I don't, I don't know this, but it's like a, you know, it's a B side or it's yeah. the seventh uh, track off of an album by a band that you do know, 
And I just love it because it's like, why aren't all the radio stations I, exactly. doing this? Play I, I don't things know. I don't know, right. please. Right. I it's mean, weird. that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Know? No, Rocket Man Roberts. Check it out. I'm going to check actually, it out. I, I mean, I, I want to try to Google this guy and find him. Well, we got to get him in here. Absolutely. Oh, now on this show. Right. Wow. You'd think I would think things like that. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's move on to your third song. Okay. Uh, this one's a little tricky. Um, so... Um, Growing up, uh, my dad was a huge movie buff, um, okay. and in almost savant-like, um, his uh, his dad was an LAPD beat cop, and you know, um, you know, and and kind of a famous one at that, and uh, uh, old Sergeant Harry Donlin. And his beat was Pershing Square. And down there, that's also where they had all the theaters in downtown L.A. where my uh, mom and dad both grew up. And um, and as a result of this, you know, uh, of how the LAPD worked in those days, uh, my grandfather would get a bunch of uh, uh, side security jobs uh, at these movie theaters. And as a result of that, my dad just grew up in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And so he has this this savant-like memory of uh, of just all of these incredible movies from the 40s and 50s and 60s. And so um, – and we used to you know tease him about it. We, you'd name a movie and just randomly and he'd tell you uh, the studio that produced it, the director, the uh, main He stars. was like the guys with baseball stats. Exactly. But it was the movie stats. Yeah, how many minutes you know, huh. it was and everything. And he, he kind of memorized the film goer's companion, which was the Bible of uh, – it was sort of like the IMDb of Yeah. Of, of well, I remember the, the Siskel and, and Ebert fat book they would yep. put out every year. Yeah. That was pretty much how you – that was the IMDb. Yeah. And so he instilled uh, in all of us and, and, you know, my mom was into it too. And But uh, we like watching old movies. And um, and somewhere along the way, um, uh, we got uh, – he, he turned us on to these old Busby Berkeley uh, movies. And, and I don't know if you're a Busby no, Berkeley I fan. No, I don't know that. So um, – they were – and I think they were old 20th Century Fox musicals and uh, he would do – for some reason I thought they were MGM but I'm probably getting that wrong. And uh, But he was the one – if you think back at those old uh, movies from the 30s and 40s of all the crazy dance routines where the chorus girls would be lined up by the – literally like the hundreds, mm-hmm. uh, all like rotating neon hoops in perfect unison and making bizarre kaleidoscopic images yeah, with their yeah, yeah. arms and legs and you know there would be swimming involved and uh, all this sort of stuff. So so we all um, you know grew up really enjoying these Busby Berkeley movies and and you know and this was as as a little kid this was all pre cable TV pre you know on demand even pre videotape and so when one of them would come on TV it was kind of like an event we'd all sit around and you know enjoy them and uh, and then you know the world of videotape. Uh, came and uh, you'd get a copy of one of these things and and as a kid uh, uh, he brought home like one of his students gave him a an old video copy of this uh, this old movie another Busby Berkeley musical called The Gang's All Here right and um, it was this this amazing World War Two era um, goofy. Uh, movie, you know, just ridiculously silly with all of these crazy characters in it. I mean, it had 
and, and, you know, let me know if, if, you know, any of these names resonate with you, but Carmen Miranda, mm-hmm. uh, was in it and has one of the, uh, amazing, uh, songs of her career in here that I think it's the, uh, the <laughs> girl with the tutti fruity hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Alice Faye, uh, is in there and, uh, Eddie Cantor and, uh, Benny Goodman is, uh, uh, did all the music, uh, for the movie and um, oh my god, they just uh, Ruby Keeler, uh, the dancer, I think is in there, and it just sort of goes on and on. I mean, literally, the gang is all there, and uh, and the the you know the plot. There is no plot. It's just all of this goofiness uh, of these people. Um, you know, a lot of farcical nonsense, and uh, but wonderful songs and wonderful dances and uh, and all of that strange Busby Berkeley. Imagery. I mean, the guy was was just a nut. I mean, the the closing scene of the movie are uh, uh, one of the themes of the movie is polka dots for some reason, and so uh, the closing scene is um, uh, an actual a different rendition of the song you're about to play uh, being played. Uh, and sung by every major character in the movie as their head floats off in a uh, sort of disembodied polka dot bubble. Uh, that then turns into, I think, Alice Faye's dress. I mean, it's it's bizarre, um, huh. hallucination-inspiring kind of weirdness. And as uh, as a kid and a teenager in into my twenties, I just really loved all of this goofy um, stuff and and you know the the artistry that went into it and the you know these these magnificent um, soundstage. Uh, Productions uh, were just fantastic. And um, so as a result, this particular song really stuck in my head for years and years and years. And uh, it's sort of the main love theme from from the movie. And um, and then uh, when uh, Francesca and I uh, got married, we needed to come up with – a uh, you know our wedding song and I, I thought well this is this has got to be it and she had something else in mind and but uh, again I guess with our theme of miscommunication uh, she had her song in mind for our wedding song and I had my song in mind and I'm, I'm sure that's not a, a completely unique story but we had uh, uh, this was in Rhode Island and and we had this. Um, neat little country club orchestra playing at our our band it was Phil Tandy's orchestra it was like a five piece right little band and right. tie uh, that yellow ribbon yeah <laughs> yeah and and it was it was like that and they they were very old school very classy guys and um we actually managed to um uh uh, I just kind of mentioned this in passing because I was also going to grad school and I was also working full time. So I was just like really busy. And um, so I mentioned this in passing to my mother-in-law who was kind of helping things get coordinated. And uh, she uh, uh, mentioned it to uh, Phil Tandy's, you know, and he went off and, and found the sheet music for this, you know, 60 year old song. And um, and so sure enough, um uh, it was there at our wedding, and um, and our wedding was was nuts. It was it was absolutely bonkers, and uh, in the best way. Um, uh, my wife's family lives out on this 
piece of land in Rhode Island that's surrounded by ocean on three sides. And, wow. and so the reception was going to be uh, uh, under a big tent on, on the very point of this land. And um, and it had all been set up and arranged and uh, everything. And, and while we were um, – and of course, you know nobody was paying attention to the weather. And while we were actually in the ceremony, this this gale blew up. That if we'd been paying attention, we would have known had been moving in our direction for for quite a while, and uh, and threatened to just tear this huge tent down and everything. And so they actually managed to uh, move the entire reception out of the tent and into. Uh, her family's sort of ancestral home, uh, hmm. which was this, you know, two hundred year old uh, house that they called the ruins because it it had actually burned down once and only been partially rebuilt. But it was and nobody was living there. Oh no! Uh, or was yeah no? Uh, Aunt Gladys was <laughs> living there at the time, and um, um, that was Francesca's great aunt uh, Gladys, and. Um, she uh, she was gracious uh, to uh, kind of move everything out, and there was this this thing that they called the big room, uh, which was uh, apparently big enough to get all of us in. I mean, and so you know, um, uh, another one of the cousins kind of snuck off and, and recruited a bunch of people, and they in in the you know two hours that the uh, ceremony took place they they got everything moved a quarter of a mile down the road and wow. stuffed into this old uh funny house and uh, and people were just jam packed in there elbow to elbow and uh and it was the most fun and um this huge storm blowing up outside and and you know just rain and wind and just craziness and um uh there was uh Oh, it, well, it was a full open bar. And, <laughs> um, and so everyone was just having a wonderful time and dancing. And uh, uh, and finally, you know, uh, and nobody could hear anything. And then so finally the song came on and Francesca and I had, you know, kind of an awkward shuffling dance in this just throng of people. And um, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, family from, from all over the place uh, came. Um, so yeah, but the 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 miscommunication is is every you know like for years and years afterwards you know occasionally when it would come up, and and this is where I'm gonna really hang it out over the edge here is I can't remember what Francesca's version of our wedding song was right, oh, now, right? you hear that right <laughs> and so <laughs> for years she was in denial uh, that that uh, this song uh, had even been played at our wedding. And uh, so finally, just just uh, uh, not too many months ago for our 20th anniversary, she gave me a little book uh, going back all of those 20 years and, and uh, uh, you know, photos from each of the years with, um, you know, a meaningful little blurb for each one of the photos. And the title of the book was A Journey to a Star. Hmm. And uh, so she finally acknowledged it, you know. So – Slow and steady wins the race. Right? <laughs> okay, well, let's listen to it. This is uh, uh, Journey to a Star, performed by Alice Faye. And I, I Googled this. It was first recorded uh, by Judy Garland. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Wind. 
So your uh, your wedding band was able to move their uh, their whole rig to, yeah. to in there yeah. too. Yeah, it was great. If a little five piece orchestra, it was fantastic. A guy with a little jazzy drum kit, and you know, it was, and they all had their matching suits. So there was no piano. No, no piano involved? There, God, there might have been, you know. So they just rolled it down the hill, I guess? <laughs> well, there might have been a piano in the house. Oh, okay. But, you know, um, but it was one of those things where when everyone was in there, I mean, people were literally jammed shoulder to shoulder in there. You really couldn't see much of what was going on. Um, it, it, things got crazy. I mean, the um, – uh, well, there are, there are plenty of stories about uh, – yeah, it sounds like uh, you mixed all that together in yeah, an open bar. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. No, it was a good good time. There's pictures? There are pictures, yeah. Is there any video? That's a good question. <laughs> not that I've seen. Not, not that I've n- seen. Not that it's part of the family uh, tradition yet. Right, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, uh, is there a TV theme song you can sing on demand? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Gilligan's Island, right? I mean, I think that's the... Uh, the requisite uh rawhide maybe okay um all of that stuff not that i'm going to do that for okay. you but uh you know yeah. uh, uh, uh stick martin who co-created our theme song um said gilligan's island but then he pointed out that he didn't know the closing lyrics because he said they were a little different every oh, week yeah. or something like that I, uh, I i feel like i need to go back and check I that i think they they did it differently for a couple of different seasons oh maybe the seasons yeah, changed or something and then, like that uh, but yeah so Gill- Gilligan's Island was a big part of your your formative years. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have a theory that that uh, the characters on Gilligan's Island sort of form a perfect pantheon of human personalities. Wow! And that you can you've given of, this some thought, yeah, Mr. Donnelly. Yeah, and you can sort of describe yourself as being a Gilligan or a Ginger or a Mr. Howell or. Or a combination. Archetypes. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. Mm. You know, uh, 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 Megan Kissinger, who we recently had on the show, um, and she kind of left us with this thought, and I think it's, 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 it keeps coming back to me. I keep thinking about it, and it came up earlier as we were talking. The collective experience that we used to share through media, mm-hmm. you know, whether it would be Gilligan's Island when everybody sat down and watched the new Gilligan's Island when it came out, or right. what she referred to as like back – you know, even further, you know, everybody was listening to Sinatra because it was just part of the fabric. And she thinks that part of what's caused us to kind of go astray as a culture is that we're all in our little silos. Yeah, now. absolutely. There's no like collective experience, which is great. Yeah. But maybe there's something lost in Well, that. that's that's kind of my theory about like, you know, and, uh, is Nirvana is like there will never be another Nirvana because there will never be another time when. Uh, a genuinely alternative band will be in the forefront of popular music because there is uh, there's no need for that anymore. You can you can um, uh, you know a, an alternative band can be perfectly successful or popular uh, with their own little niche of. Um, Fans, yeah. You don't they have can, to. Right. You don't have to be global. You right. can just have a hundred thousand people on the planet that love you, right. and suddenly you're successful. And that, and that's that's that. And so, I think nobody. Uh, I mean, I'll be surprised if if any other um, really new form of popular music changes the landscape like like they did back then. Hmm. You know, yeah. Hmm. Time will tell. Right. Um, you've got a couple kids. Is, were there any lullabies that came oh, with that? That, yeah. you know, either a retelling yeah. of a song or a totally original? Yeah. We, both of my kids, there were there were songs. I mean, with Katie, my daughter, she, uh, we, you know, and 
Oh, I wish we could get back to that point. But we uh, loved singing Christmas carols oh, cool. together. You know, and that was like classic, uh, you know, car time fun, you know. Yeah. And when Daniel was a baby, uh, he would never, ever sleep. And so uh, to try to lull him into sleeping, I would uh, I would sing the uh, Marty Robbins classic uh, El Paso. Uh, you know, you're gonna have to sing a little. Well, bit for you know, me. down <laughs> in the West Texas town of El Paso. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so on and so forth, which goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and uh, so I forced myself to learn all of the lyrics because there needed to be a song that long to to get that kid to sleep. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, is there a song that you will always turn off if you have uh, um, the radio on and it comes on for whatever reason? Oh, uh, Built That City, isn't that? Ah, cannot, just cannot, you know. Yeah, that was like when they went, they went off in their own little yeah, thing. It was, it was like, that was like, um, I always felt like that song came about through like focus groups. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah, there was something unfortunate happened because I mean like, I think we can all agree, you know, that Airplane was a, you know, an amazing uh -huh. band, you know, and uh, and then something just went wildly off the tracks with that one particular song. So, <laughs> um, uh, album, if you can only listen to one uh, ever again, uh, it might be. Uh, it's probably going to be one of two. It would either be yes, fragile, mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's something so sort of. Um, Baroque about a lot of the way they do things that uh, it uh, it doesn't get as tiring as some more programmatic music um, might, and so uh, that might be one. And then the other one is this um, collection of uh, classic uh, Schubert uh, art songs that I love and. Can't think of the name of it, but it's like twenty liter, you know. Thanks to Mr. Webb. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had a Mr. Webb in middle school. He was the first teacher who like caught my attention, and it was great because I had him uh, for three years in middle school because he was a gifted teacher. So, mm -hmm. he, so I had him in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then he moved on to the high school and he taught at high school for one of the years. So I had this guy for like four times. Mr. Wyatt. He was my Mr. Webb. Oh, that John yeah. Wyatt, and I can't find him. He disappeared. You know, and uh, it's it's. Um, I mean, we're so fortunate to have people like that 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 we uh, cross paths with. And you know, like I say, growing up with my parents as educators, my dad actually uh, kind of ran the uh, school of education in the town I grew up in. And so, you know, maybe one out of every five teachers I had would have gone through his program. And so, mm -hmm. in that sense, it was a very small. Uh, community. And uh, so there was a lot of teacher talk at home and, you know, uh, who knows what and everything. And so um, we really valued uh, our teachers, you know. Um, they were they were very important people in our lives. And now you are one. Yeah, well, sort of, mostly. Uh, okay, uh, any final thoughts, and can you give them to me in a robot German accent? <laughs> no, I, I can't. There, there's, uh, there's, there's not enough alcohol in this building. Okay. Uh, but, uh, no, this has been fun, and, yeah, I just look forward to hearing more and more of these. Well, thank you very much. We make this show in the WGCU studios on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is the show's co-creator and producer. Our online content producer is Tara Calligan. Chris Duffis is our executive producer. 
Our theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to the early 80s at a YMCA summer camp, which I attended several weeks of with my brother and sister. I would have been in about fifth grade at the time. It was an all-ages camp, meaning there were little kids and big teenagers. Made for one hell of a dodgeball game, let me tell you. The song that connects me back to that time is Magic by the Cars. I have this really vivid memory of being in a game room of some kind. We were all crammed inside because it was storming outside. And the teenagers were building these cool balsa wood airplanes that really flew and could do a loop if you knew what you were doing. I remember playing ping pong with some kids my age, watching the older kids throw these little planes around that far exceeded any toy plane I'd ever seen at that point in my life in terms of I guess flyability while this song played in the background summertime summer camp the 80s southwest florida good times i'm mike ganairi keep listening next time on three song stories as a youth in northern minnesota i played the very badly played the accordion. Uh, my my siblings. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. There's well, no, no. I, they, you laugh because my siblings <laughs> voted to sell the accordion at some point in time. <laughs>